Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, we praise you. God, we thank you that um, even when life seems to go out that door, that uh, you're there, you're, you see our pain, you see our struggles, you give us strength in the midst of the storms. God, I pray you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives that you would work in us however you see fit. We'd allow your Holy Spirit to create in us new hearts and we'd find hope and joy and strength. We'd find wisdom when everything seems lost. God, I thank you for all the times. You're there in the midst of all that stuff. And I thank you for the promise of your word. And I thank you for the promise that no matter what we face, that you will see us through. You will see us through it. God, thank you for every single person here. God, I thank you that you brought us to this place. May we hear you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, the the whole process, it kind of begins unexpectedly. Uh, There's a wound, you know, an irritation. Uh, You have this unwelcome intruder in in your life. And what, what happens is the internal resources rush to repair, to fix that, that wounded area in an oyster. And the final result is a beautiful pearl, gorgeous pearl. And the fact is, if there are no wounds, there's no pearl. If there's no hurt, there's no pearl. And something beautiful is created that wouldn't have been possible without the wound. And today I got, I got a question for you, and, and it's a significant one, and that is, what is your perspective on adversity, specifically in your life? You know, what, what is your perspective on death, on divorce, on a pink slip, on having an accident, a rebellious child? What, what's your perspective when it comes to disease and injustice and and all this stuff that we face in life. I mean, what do you do? What do you do when you are are forced to go through that door of adversity in, in your life? I mean, I don't like looking at the door of adversity. And yet sometimes it just drags us in, and I don't want to go. You ever have that sense, you know, you're going along, everything's fine, and all of a sudden you get this sickening, gut-wrenching feeling, 
as you're being pulled through the door. You ever been there? I mean, it feels like your life is being torn apart. And I've found it interesting because when people find themselves in this place, I mean, some people get angry. And some people find inner peace. You know, some people blame God. And some people draw really close to God. And some people crumble, and other people find strength in the midst of it. Some people are broken. And some people break records. I mean, there's a guy in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Joseph. And Joseph goes through some doors of adversity in his life. You know, he, he goes through those doors, and, and what I find when you read the story is it produced some things in his life, some very positive, positive things that wouldn't have been achieved had he not went through that door. You know, Joseph, he's the youngest of, of 12. You already got problems in life, probably, if you got 12 brothers. <laughs> he has 11 older brothers. He's daddy's favorite. In fact, he's blatantly Jacob's favorite. And scripture says that one day, Jacob showed his enormous love for Joseph, and he gives him this beautiful, colorful, full-length, just exotic coat. And it's kind of the last straw for his brothers. His brothers resented him. They hated him. And I think they just had it with him. And so they kind of react to it. And it was a pretty severe reaction. They threw him down in a well. And I think, Scripture doesn't really say, but I think his brothers probably got afraid after they threw him down in the well. And, you know, they were probably thinking, mm, we probably shouldn't have done this. Nah. And, and so they're brainstorming. I, I, I can picture the brothers brainstorming. And, and I, I'm going to guess maybe they looked off in the distance and they saw that merchant caravan off in the distance. And, and one of the brothers goes, hey, let's sell him. Let's sell him into slavery. we we'll get some money, get rid of him. This will be great. And they probably all join. Yeah, yeah, let's get rid of him. That's great. And then... One of the smarter ones probably said, well, wait a minute. Won't dad look for him? He is his favorite. He wouldn't look for me, but he'll look for Joseph. Yeah. And what if, what if dad finds him? All right. You got to make him think he's dead. You got to make dad think he's dead. You know. Yeah, but, but, but if we tell him he's dead... Won't he want to see the body? And so they, they scheme, and they devise a plan. And so what they do, they take the beautiful coat that Joseph had, they, they kill a goat, they pour the blood of the goat on the coat. See, they didn't have CSI back in those days, no DNA testing and all that stuff. And so they go back to dad with the bloody coat, 
And they claim that this wild animal came and devoured Joseph. And it broke Jacob's heart. And, you know, I was thinking, how would you like to be 17 years old? You're in a foreign country. You don't know anyone. You can't speak the language. You've been enslaved against your will. In a matter of moments, see, Joseph, life's good. Life's good. Boom. He goes from a pampered son to a slave. The door of adversity, friends, will change your life, and it will change it quickly and fast. It will mess with you. And Joseph, Joseph arrives in Egypt, and a very prominent military official, uh, Potiphar is his name, Scripture says he, he was kind of the head of like the Egyptian Pentagon, you, you might say. And so he, he took notice of Joe. He, he saw a character quality in him that, that, that stood out, that just screamed. And so Potiphar takes Joseph and puts him in charge of everything that he owned. And in fact, Scripture, I like what Scripture says here. It says, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there, with Joseph in that spot, he had no concern for anything except the food he ate. I mean, that's how much. That's how much he trusted Joseph. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious. And I know some of you are probably thinking, if you don't know the story, you're going, oh, well, okay, so Joseph had a few problems, and, and he ended up going through the door of adversity, but he, he pulled it back together, and he lived happily ever after. Mm, think again on this one. In fact, just when Joseph thinks things are turning around, his life unravels again. He gets kicked through another door as he's spinning out. He finds himself down for the count again. Scripture says that uh, Joseph was a well-built guy, handsome. And after a time, his master's wife took notice of him. This is a little sizzly here, okay? She says, lie with me. But he refused. Later, if you read verse, verse 10, it goes on and says, and although she spoke to Joseph day, after day, he would not consent to lie with her or to be with her. In other words, Joseph, he's an employee of Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife starts putting the move on him. She's trying to seduce him, and not just once. You know, Scripture says day after day after day. And I'm going to guess she got kind of tired of getting rejected getting the cold shoulder from him. And so one day, in a fit of passion, she grabs his coat and says, come to bed with me. And Scripture says that Joseph ran. As she was holding his coat, he just ran out of his coat, and he ran out the door. Now, this is the part of the story I'll let you decide, boxers or briefs, but get the picture here. you got to get the picture. 
Now, every time I read the, the story, at this point in the story, I'm thinking, you know what? Joseph has a problem with coats. Stay away from coats and he'll be okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, every time I'm like, it's a coat again. Go, go, go. You know, more phone books. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, I mean, this is the second coat that the boy's lost and, and he's got a problem. And Joseph's in a tough situation. I mean, I think, it doesn't really say all this, but I I think Joseph was starting to feel weak. And I think that he thought the only way that he could avoid the temptation was to run. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in the danger zone. I better run before I break. And so Joseph takes off running. And, And you would think, I mean... After going through that, after Joseph takes this courageous stand of moral integrity, that he would like receive instant spiritual reward in his life. That, I mean, in our mind, is this true? In our mind, we think that's how it's supposed to work, right? Right? You think if you take a stand, you do the right thing, that you're going to be rewarded, but instead, we find that that Joseph is accused of a crime he doesn't commit. He he runs to escape from Mrs. Potiphar, and she screams rape, and so he finds himself back through that door of adversity. And I want to say something, because I've noticed in life, it's just been my observation, that sometimes, sometimes we think when we've went through that door... We think, you know what, finally, we take our stand, we do what's right, that finally, I'm going to get rewarded. Finally. But instead, we get, boom, we get another door of adversity. I mean, you ever had that happen to you? Thought you were going to get rewarded, thought you were going to get some praise, thought someone was going to pat you on the back. You take a stand, you do the right thing. And instead of getting a reward, you get burned, you get fried. You know, maybe you thought you would get that promotion at work, but because you refused to lie or play office politics or play in the shades of gray in your life, I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard thing for anybody to help you understand uh, why taking the stand is worth it. I have numerous times in my life just been talking, talking to folks, and I've, I've got a good buddy that uh, I remember him asking me years and years and years ago, uh, basically just saying, you know, Damon, how can I be a Christian, do, do the right things? How can I have integrity and morals and all this stuff and not have it affect me in a negative way when it comes to my work, you know, when it comes pay raise time and and all that. And I have always said, whether I was talking to him or or anyone, what I'm about to say to you, it's the same thing that I believe Joseph discovered, that sometimes there is no immediate reward. There's no reward for being pure, for being honest, for doing the right thing, for taking the high road, for, for doing the, the godly thing, for resisting temptation, for, for doing that godly thing in our life, sometimes there just isn't. And you won't always find yourself 
thinking, wow, it feels good to do good. In fact, there are going to be times that you will take that step and in your heart of hearts, you're going to go, I'm crazy. I must be crazy. What am I doing? This makes no sense. And I want to encourage you and say, you know, in the long haul, in the long haul, doing the godly thing, the moral thing, the right thing pays in sky high dividends. It pays in eternal dividends. Joseph does the right thing. Potiphar's wife cries rape. And Joseph gets messed up. Goes on and says, when his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way your servant treats me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. You know, Joseph, been unjustly abused by, by his brothers. He's been falsely accused now. And now he's going to be wrongfully imprisoned in, in his life. And again, just a little heads up, because I know how this goes. Sometimes when you face that door, that door of adversity, and you find yourself having gone and you're right in the midst of it, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever come through this door, you're, you're disoriented, you find the ground finally, a little equilibrium, and you've said this or thought it. Well, at least things can't get any worse. <laughs> Those of you that laugh, you, you, you know, right? Right? They can. They can get worse. I mean... In fact, they can get a lot worse. And that's the case in point with, with Joseph. Things are going wrong. He gets knocked to the mat. He, he's reeling from what he's gone through. And he's wondering which way's up. And then he finds his equilibrium. And so, you know, be, be really, really careful predicting that things can't get worse. Because when you do that, I think you make your future problems and those future challenges in life, that adversity, that junk of life, it's a lot harder to handle. It's tougher to handle if you think it's over. Uh, if you've ever gone through a series of adversities and problems, uh, maybe had a, a family member with this had a serious accident or you've rushed to the hospital for, for a parent or you got that call in the, in the middle of the night, someone hands you that, that pink slip or you've lost, lost a loved one, you know, maybe uh, a parent or grandparents uh, diagnosed with, with a disease, uh, you know, Alzheimer's or cancer or something or maybe been betrayed by someone close to you. Um, you know, maybe a, a spouse said, hey, what? you know what, I'm, I'm out of here, I can't take this anymore. Um, when you've been thrown through that door of adversity, there, there's something that happens that drives us. I mean, it brings us to our knees. True? I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that God does in the midst of that is allows that to bring us to a point of humility. God will use that adversity to accomplish things. That door of adversity has a, has a way of producing humility in you and me. True? 
Humility, uh, it's, it's one of those character qualities that we like appreciating other people, right? I mean, little little survey. How many of you would like to go to lunch this afternoon with a conceited, self-centered jerk? All right? How many of you? Don't point, just raise hands, okay? All right? I mean, how many? It's like you want to be around people that are humble, people that, that have bowed a knee, that... that don't think they've got everything together. And I think that God allowed some things to happen in Joseph's life to help bring that about. I think God had a strategy. And this is just speculation on my part. Scripture doesn't say this, but I think it's very possible that Jacob's issue, or not Jacob, Joseph's issue and problem was probably pride. I think struggled with pride. And I think it kind of adds up. You think about it, he was daddy's favorite. Bible records all kinds of instances where Joseph's running around with his brothers and the brothers do something wrong and Joseph runs home to tell daddy. And I think the fact that daddy gave him this gorgeous coat it made him feel a little bit superior, a little bit special. I I, I think that he thought he was a little more than. And and I can very easily see how Joseph could have got this puffed-up sense of himself. And adversity has a way of humbling you. I, I believe that God couldn't use Joseph the way he wanted to use him until he got him to empty the pride out. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about it. Uh, You know, God gave him a vision and he got a sneak peek of heaven. And I think Paul could have got a really big head. Uh, And he understood that. If you read scripture, he says in 2 Corinthians, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of all these surpassingly great revelations, these things that God had shown him, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, those are Paul's words. Paul Paul had some kind of adversity in his life, some kind of problem, some kind of struggle. I don't know what it was, but I know that three times it's recorded in Scripture that, that he begs God to just take it from him. But God chose not to. God chose not to. Why? Well... I'm not sure. I don't know exactly why, but I think quite possibly it was to keep, because it's Paul's words here, to keep him from getting conceited, getting full of himself. I think he had that thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. It produced humility in him, and it also taught him to depend on God. When you get driven to your knees in life, Not only will it keep you humble, you realize you cannot do this thing called life without God. You know, there are two two groups of people here today. And and part of you, I want to say to you, you know, if you're searching for God and and trying to find God in in your life, that uh, God wants to work in you. And maybe, maybe recently you've gone through that door of adversity. You know... Maybe you've been knocked down. Maybe you've been knocked out. 
And in the midst of that, it's kind of brought life into focus. It gets your attention, doesn't it? You go through that door, and it drives you to your knees. And it's hard to get a handle on. It's hard to get a handle on. And, and I'll shoot straight with you here. My prayer for you if, you, if you're in that spot, and you haven't surrendered to God, is that at some point, whether you're on your back or down on your knees, at some point you, you come to a place where you just say, you know what, God, I am weak, weak, weak. I, I'm a sinner. I am messed up. I, I, I am a failure. I'm wounded and I'm hurting. And God, I do not want to go through this situation. I do not want to go through life. I do not want to go through eternity without you. You know, I pray that, that you take that step. I believe God brings that stuff in, allows it in our life because God knows sometimes that's what it takes. You know, and I, I would ask you, how many, how many doors of adversity are you going to have to go through? How many times are you going to have to get knocked down or knocked out before you look up and say, I surrender? Now, I know some of you, you bottomed out and, and God's got your attention. But some of you, you've, you've topped out in, in your life. You've got everything in the world, life's cruising, you've got the throttles going, and by all rights, everything as you assess it, analytically, you should be the happiest person in the world, and the reality is you're not. You're miserable. You're, you're empty. You're, you're searching. You, you've got this gigantic void that you're trying to fill in your life, and it just won't fill up. And I, I would beg you to consider just fall on your knees and say, God, I need you. I, I don't know how to fill the gap. Now, many of you, you're, you're part of the family here at Faith Fellowship. And um, I'd say to you, I hate the door of adversity. I, I mean, I, I, I cringe when I find myself on the other side of that door. But I love what it produces in me. I love what it produces in me, you know, the, to let God work in that. Because what it does, it keeps you humble. It keeps you depending on God. And it keeps you focused on what's really important in life. It's just my observation, but the, that door of adversity, I, I believe that one of the reasons God allows us to go through that is because God has big plans for us. I believe God's got big plans for, for this church. And I believe God's going to use all that stuff to do incredible things. 2 Corinthians 12 says, Therefore am I content, Paul says, with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. God makes us strong. God gives us strength in the midst of our brokenness. You know, that, that door of adversity, it also helps me get a different perspective on life. It has a way of changing the lenses that I, that I look through. You know, Joseph, I, I think, discovered three lessons that uh, when you go through those doors of adversity, those problems, that we all 
need to learn. One of them we talked about last week, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But one of the things you learn, and I hope you never, ever, ever, ever forget, is God's with you. God's with you in that pain and that suffering and that hurt of your life that if you understand that, you can, you can stay steady. You, you understand that you're never going to go through anything that God's not going with you. There's a, a little phrase, if you read the, the life of, of Joseph, that it appears over and over and over and over in Scripture, and that is, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with, with Joseph. You know, 39.2, uh, it says after he was sold to Potiphar, that the Lord was with Joseph. You go on to verse 3, and it says, that Potiphar recognized that the Lord was with, with Joseph. Joseph goes to prison. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. 23, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. God was working in Joseph's life big time. It was working to bring about good. He was going to take all that junk and make something good out of it. It's a promise. You ought to embed this scripture in your heart. Romans eight twenty eight. In fact, let's just read it together. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now hopefully we say it with a little more zeal next time. But, uh, you know... <laughs> We know that God... Um, power! There's power in that verse. You know, God promises there's not anything you're ever going to go through in life, that God's going to be in the midst of it, that God's going to see us through, that, that God is going to strengthen us in those times of weakness. I always love Mother Teresa. She would always say, I know that God will not give me anything that I can't handle. But then she'd always follow up and say, but I wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> you, ever, you ever watch a parent with their kid when they're first learning to swim? I mean, it's, it's a very fascinating thing because it kind of is always the same thing. You're trying to teach a kid to swim, get your arms underneath them and that little tyke's kicking and paddling and spitting water and they're, they're trying to get around and you're right there, right underneath them. Yeah, make sure. Then they start getting a little more confident. What do they say? Let go, let go, let go. And so you back off a little bit. You're still there. And they'll start kicking, and at some point, they'll take in a big drink of water. And then they choke a little bit, and you bring them right back up. I think sometimes that's how we are with God. You know, we're kind of cruising through life. Hey, God, got it. I'm okay now. Thanks for seeing me in that early part, but I'm okay. Woo, watch me. Woo, look, God, there I go. God just kind of hangs around. And before long, <coughs> it's okay. God's there. God's with you. You also need to remember that when you go through that door of adversity, that God is equipping you 
to help other people. He's going to teach you how to help people around you. That door of adversity is setting us for the future. It's preparing in us. You know, Paul writes, he says, we, we can comfort those in any trouble with comfort we ourselves have received from God. In other words, it, it is an amazing thing when you see this in action. Because no one understands an alcoholic like someone that's battled with alcoholism and figured out it's not a good route to go. You know, no one understands what it's like to battle an eating disorder like someone that has battled an eating disorder. You know, nobody understands that the pain of separation or divorce like someone that's been through that pain. You know, nobody understands what it's like to lose a child like someone that's lost a child. When people get together and they bring those similar doors of adversity together, all all of a sudden you find that you are there encouraging and loving and you know how to help because there's a sense of I've been there, I know what it's like, and I know what worked, and I know what didn't work, and I know what was helpful, and I know what wasn't helpful, and it's amazing, it's amazing to me how God will use that adversity to make a difference in other people's lives. I'll never forget years, years ago, there was a lady I had a, I had a ton of respect for, and um, she was just, so good at, at caring for people, and she volunteered at the, the hospital all the time, and she specifically worked with people that had cancer, and she would visit with them, and she would love them, and she would laugh and cry and play games and, and just be by their side and hold their hand, and I, I asked her one day, I said, you know, Norma, you're amazing at this, and then she told me her story. She said, well, Damon, you know, I had cancer and the doctors told me I had a month to live. And she said, I guess God had other ideas. A lot of people praying for her. She went through chemo and things went into remission in her life. And God used her. That door of adversity, that thing that we think, this is awful, I don't want to go through it. It's a lot of pain. God used Norma in a way she never dreamed that God would use Norma. And you know, I'm thankful. Because I saw the power, the power, the strength that she had to do something I couldn't do. I mean, I can be with people but I don't get it at the level she gets it. And you know what? God can do the exact same thing with whatever door of adversity you find yourself in. There's one more thing about that door, I believe, Christians, that when you go through that door of adversity, it's an opportunity to allow people to see God at work in you, for God to, to use you, for it to scream volumes 
to the community of faith, to the community at large, to your neighbors, to your friends. You know, I think that Joseph, uh, you look at his life and it becomes very apparent. He comes to Egypt. He's a slave. He's working. And Potiphar noticed that God was working in him. He's wrongfully accused. He ends up in prison. And the prison warden's watching Joseph, and he sees God working in Joseph. In fact, so much so that he puts Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. That's different. And I, I think we fear people seeing that weakness in us. And God wants to use that weakness. Remember the, the commercial, never let them see a sweat? Bad idea. Because I believe that one of the greatest testimonies that we have to a world that's hurting and lost is let them see your weakness. Let them see you sweat. Let them see the struggle because when they see the struggle, if you let God shine through, it, it, it's, it speaks volumes. I mean, we, we've all got this fear in us, I think, and we're afraid to let people see who we really are. And we're afraid to let people see us in those weak moments. And I want to say to you, when you let people see you in your weak moments, they see God at his best, at his very best. Second Corinthians says, but we have this treasure in, in clay jars so that it be, may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God. This extraordinary power belongs to God. It doesn't come from us, friends. It doesn't come from us. You know, we are fragile. We are broken. We are nicked. We got holes in us. We are broken. We are cracked. And we have this opportunity to let the light of God shine through in our weaknesses, in our brokenness, in our, our adversities of life. I mean, God meets Joseph in his adversity. And I absolutely guarantee you that God wants to meet you in yours. You know, we're called to walk by faith, not sight. We're called to allow God to, to work in us and through us and make no mistake that God sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he wants the best for you and he's longing for an opportunity to just get involved in your life. And I wonder, Christians, are you going to trust him? Or are you going to depend on God? Or are you, are you going to forget when you find yourself in this room and you're disoriented and you're struggling, are you going to forget that God's with you? You know, for some of you, it's time you put your faith back in God. It's time for some of you to draw a line in the sand and step over the line and say, you know what? I am going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to surrender my life and give it to him. And I know there are some that need to take that step. And I would love, love to talk to you, have a conversation with you. You know, catch me after the service. Call me. Because God really wants you to just take the step. There, there is too much hanging in the balance in your life. 
I had a great opportunity to get away for a few days uh, this week, and um, I was up in Chicago. And on my drive back, uh, I was with a buddy, and uh, we were just talking and sharing, and we hit about Springfield. Um, I used to live up there. I don't know if you know that. But uh, anyway, as we were coming through there, our conversation kind of took this weird turn. And um, we started sharing adversities and problems. And uh, this is really, really true. Um, from Springfield all the way home, I launched into all the adversities that had happened in my life and just began this litany thing and saying, you know, I do, I do not believe I would be the man I am today had I not went through all this stuff. Now, when we got home, you have to know that my buddy uh, just kind of said, man, that was depressing. <laughs> That's what he said. He's never so happy to get home. Um, and, and it was a curious thing because as I started talking... The more I talked and started pinpointing all this junk, I got inspired. I got pumped up. It filled me full of energy because I realized it wasn't all a waste, that God had used that door. In fact, just line up doors. To do something incredible. I don't know what kind of junk you're bringing today, but friends, I know God can use it. And I know God's going to change hearts and He's going to give you a perspective. And here's what I know if you allow God to use it, and don't get me wrong, I hate being here, I hate it. It hits you in the gut when you, when you find yourself in the middle of it. But I would never, ever want to not go through it. Because I know what you get on the other side when you break through. No other way to get it than to go through it. And allow God to lift it up. Let, let's bow in a word of prayer. God, we praise you. God, we thank you. Because you are right there. And God, I know there are those that are broken this morning. Engine's not running right. In fact, they're not even sure if they can get it going again. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just pull alongside that whether they're down for the count or they're staggering to get up or maybe they found a little equilibrium but God that you would just be in their mind and their heart reminding them that it's not for nothing it's it's not a zero in their life that someday they'll be able to 
look back and say, I am a better man, a better woman. I'm stronger. God's using me more efficiently and effectively. You somehow would breathe in their spirit the strength to take just one more step. That's all you've asked. God, you are on our side. You, uh, you amaze me. The way you pick people up, the way you use people that previously weren't real usable. God, I thank you that you took a young kid that wasn't very usable. Whether I got kicked through the doors or stumbled or sometimes I opened them and jumped. But however I got there, it didn't matter. You used it. And I stand in awe. God, we thank you for the doors of adversity. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.